Good morning. Would you open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2? And we're going to look at verse 11 and following. And the first thing I think you're going to, is going to come to your mind is, this is not exactly an Advent passage. But I want to explain to you in just a moment how it is very appropriate at Advent. Let's read it. Follow along. Verse 11 of chapter 2 in Ephesians. Paul says, therefore, remember that formerly you the Gentiles in the flesh who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. And now he's quoting from Isaiah 57, 9. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being um, can't even, I've, I've written in my Bible, so I've, all of a sudden that word, being what? That, yes, together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. I love this section of Scripture. Last week we saw that Paul wrote about salvation. He wrote about what all men were coming into this world in 2, 1 to 10. We were by nature children of wrath. We were following the prince of the power of the air. We were children of disobedience. But God, being rich in his mercy, redeemed us, saved us, gave us life. And then he ended that by saying, by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, 
which he has before ordained that we should walk in them. That's individual salvation. That's true of both Jew and Gentile. Every man individually had to come to know Christ personally, had to come to know the Lord, and it's through new birth, but God being rich in his mercy towards us. But here's an interesting thing. He goes on to say, he's writing to a church in Ephesus that's primarily Gentile. There are Jews there. Paul was there for over two years with them. He started a school there. He preached the gospel. Some Jews came to know the Lord and left the synagogue and followed Paul. And a church was begun, but it was primarily Gentiles. And Paul is writing to encourage these Ephesian believers. And in these verses from 11 to 22, he has some interesting things to say to the Gentiles. And what he says, and the way this fits in with Advent, is it's only because of that first Christmas. It's only because of Christ coming to earth and dying and doing away with the old covenant and bringing in the new covenant that our ancestors, Gentiles, you and I, could be saved. Until Jesus came, how many Gentiles knew the Lord? Well, there was Ruth. Remember Ruth from Moab? And there was Rahab from Jericho. And there could have been, this is debated, the book of Jonah, there could have been a time when a whole city, or at least a large part of that city, came to know the Lord. But between Abraham and his being called to the Lord, in the early chapters of Genesis, until Jesus Christ, primarily Jews were the only ones that came. And here's the interesting thing. Even though they had the promises, even though they had the covenants, even though they had so many privileges and they had the tabernacle and they had all of the signs and the sacrifices that pointed to Christ, only a few came, a remnant. But even fewer Gentiles, we collectively Gentiles, were not even part of the Old Covenant, except by unusual grace of God. Now, obviously, there were Gentiles that came to know the Lord before Abraham. You look at the early chapters of Genesis, you look at Genesis chapter 1 through 5, and you will find people that came to know the Lord. You can, you can name some of them. Adam, it seems, did come to know the Lord after his great sin and had a personal relationship with him. Enoch, Seth, all a number of people knew the Lord even before God began his work with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and their descendants through Jacob all the way to Christ. That was happening. But think again, before that first Christmas, you and I and our ancestors who were not descendants of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, 
had little to no chance. Collectively, we were lost. We really had to become Jews. We had to convert and become a Jew in order to be saved in those days and be part of the Old Covenant. So it's at that first Christmas that things begin to change. The things that the prophets promised in the Old Testament, the promises that God was going to bring in the Gentiles since the coming of Christ, the church has been formed. Gentiles have been brought in. Before that, the slate was almost blank for Gentiles in relating to God. And what Paul is talking about here is, you Gentiles, you need to be praising God and worshiping God more than any others because you were separated. But now you've been brought near through Christ. The doors have been opened to you. The gospel is being preached to you. And there is opportunity for you to come. These are so rich and so blessed that up until the coming of Christ, Gentiles were basically excluded. But because of his coming, because of his death, he has brought us and made us one together. And by the way, he's made us one together for the rest of eternity. There aren't two groups anymore, folks. There aren't saved Jews who have not come to Jesus Christ and formed one new man in this day since his coming. If you're a Jew and you're going to be rightly related to God, you have to come through his son, Jesus Christ, and be part of the church. And it is the church of Jesus Christ that is going to continue and continue on into heaven. And all that were saved before the church are made part of the church. That's why they were saved. Old Testament saints were not saved by keeping the law and the old covenant. Old Testament saints were saved because they looked to the seed of Abraham that was to come and they put their faith in him like Simeon, the priest in Luke, who is looking for the coming of the Messiah and gets to hold him in his arms because God has promised him that. It's an amazing thing. He's looking for the one that would save them, the only one. The way that Jews were saved was not by keeping the law, was not by giving human sacrifice. Those were all pictures. They were saved by faith. Abraham was saved. Do you remember in Genesis 15? How? By faith in the seed through him that was going to come. That's how Old Testament saints were saved. We're ultimately now a part of the new covenant, which is an everlasting covenant, which is going to go on forever. It's called an everlasting and an eternal covenant. We'll see that. But we ought to tie in this passage very much with Christmas. Until that first Christmas, we as Gentiles were apart and had no hope. Let's look into this. Let's, let's go through this and look at what the Lord wants to say to us today and how we ought to rejoice that since Christ, there is opportunity for all men to come and have a relationship with the living God. There are three parts here. And I'm going to look at my watch just to keep an eye on time. 
Um, there are three parts that we're going to look at. The first one is in verses 11 and 12, and I'm entitling it this way. He's talking to the Gentiles. He's encouraging them. He's causing them to see the, the grace of God that's been just poured out upon them. But the first two verses we'll entitle their past absence of salvation and their former alienation. Their former alienation. And then secondly, in verses 13 to 18, their present salvation and subsequent unification with believing Jews. And finally, in verses 19 to 22, he writes of their new relationship and glorious habitation of the living God. They're a new building. They're a new temple. They're new citizens of his kingdom. And before that, you and I, as Gentiles, again, were totally removed, totally separate. If you've ever thought, boy, it would have been really neat to live back in the time of B.C., before Christ, as a Gentile, think again. It wasn't neat. There was Ruth. There was Rahab, which were unusual gifts of God during that period. So let's first of all look at what he says to remind them. Verse 11 and 12 again. Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles, in other words, before Christ, in the flesh, you Gentiles in the flesh, that's your heritage, who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, and you were uncircumcised, but it wasn't the circumcision of the hands that did anything for, for even the Jews. It's the circumcision of the heart. It's a change. It's new life. Remember that at that time, you were separate, separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. That was our ancestors' lot before the coming of Jesus Christ. Listen, I'm going to summarize again what he's saying here. They were Gentiles by birth. That's the way they came into this life. They were not part of the seed of Abraham. Basically, you know, the Bible sums up there are two groups of people. There are those who are the seed of Abraham, and there are those who are not, the Gentiles. So it's through the seed of Abraham that God is working. He's giving his promises. He's speaking to them. He gives them all of these illustrations in the tabernacle with sacrifices that there has to be the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sins. But Gentiles had no part in this. Gentiles by birth, they were not of Abraham's seed. They were uncircumcised. They were separated from Christ and had little to no opportunity to come to him unless they became a Jew. They were alienated and excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. Totally removed. They were strangers to the covenants of promise, the Abrahamic, the Mosaic, the Davidic. They were without hope. All of our ancestors in that period of time before Christ were without hope. And he says, without God in this world. 
Do we have something to be thankful for at Christmas? As Gentiles, we certainly do. What a tragic situation Gentiles were in, collectively. Because here Paul is talking about this collective issue. You Gentiles collectively were removed. You had no hope. No hope until the coming of Jesus Christ. Secondly, their present salvation and subsequent unification, verses 13 to 18. Paul is saying several things here. First of all, he's referring to their collective positive condition before God as being a heritage in Christ. Let's look at verse 13 just for a moment. But now, he uses that same word that he does back in chapter, in the early verses of chapter 2. But now, but God there, but, but he says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near. Christ came and died for all that would come to him. Jew and Gentile, his death was for everyone. You have been brought near by Christ. You were formerly far off, but now you've been brought near by his blood. When Jesus Christ came, things changed tremendously in the whole realm of the way God works in this world. Christ came to die for all men, all races, all people. And the apostles were to take that word, the preaching of the cross, to the Gentile communities. And they did. Paul had three missionary journeys all over the world around the Mediterranean Sea. And he went to the synagogues and he preached the truth. And then what? Basically, normally he was thrown out. Some were saved. But then he went to the Gentiles. Peter went to the Gentiles. And they preached Christ. The Son of God had come to save all men. And all would be brought together with the Jews that were saved and made one new man. We're going to find out as we go on through this. And they're brought near means that they are brought near to God. They have access. They have fellowship. They're part of his family. The verse that came to my mind as I was thinking about this was in Luke. Luke chapter 15. And I want to just read to you. You'll know the story, the prodigal. This is now how things have changed for Gentiles. We've been brought near to God Think of, think of the prodigal. Here he is. He's in the pig pen. He says, I'm in a mess. I've spent all of my inheritance. I have nothing left. I would be better off to be back with my father as a hired hand. So he returns home. And here's the picture. Here's the words in Luke. But the father, he sees the son coming. And he runs out to him. And he says, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fattened calf to kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this son of mine was dead. And he's come again to life again. He was lost, but he's been found. And they begin to be merry. All the son said to him was, Father, I've sinned against the Lord. I've sinned against you. And I... I just want to be your hired hand. 
But the father ran to him and embraced him. That's the, the, the kind of figure that I get here in verse 13. You were far off, but God has brought you near. You were the 99 were in the fall, but you were out there and God went out for you and brought you to himself. He loves you. And he's made you his son. That is so glorious. Our ancestors were far away and had no hope until Jesus Christ came. Notice what he goes on to say in verse 14. For he himself, Christ, is our peace. He's the one who made peace with us and God. He's the one who made peace with us and Jewish brethren that were separate and not one. He's, he's our peace. He's made both groups into one and broken down the barrier of the dividing wall. Do you know what the dividing wall was in the temple? The dividing wall was the wall that kept Gentiles who wanted to come in on that side and only Jews could go on the other. They had to remain apart. The dividing wall. But the dividing wall is only used here by Paul to point to something else. It's not the literal dividing wall that was the real dividing wall that Paul is talking about. Let's read on in verse 15. By abolishing in his flesh, he broke, broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh, in his body, the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. You see what the barrier was? It was the old covenant. The barrier was the law given to Moses, which was a law of works. It was a covenant of works. It was not a covenant of grace. That covenant, that wall, which kept the Gentiles out, Christ comes and he tears down. He removes. There are so many verses about that, and I want to read a couple of them to you right now. Second Corinthians, first, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 9.19. For though Paul is here talking about his ministry, and I want you to see how he has changed in being under the law and now under the law of Christ. For though I am free from all men and have made myself a slave to all that I might win the more, and to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews to those who are under the law, as under the law, though not being myself under that law anymore. Paul is not under that law. He's a follower of Christ. And he goes on to say that I might win those who are under the law to those who are without the law, to the Gentiles, as without the law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ. That's the new covenant. That's Christ's law, that I might win those who are without the law. Why is that true? Look at, listen to this. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. The new covenant has come. Listen to Galatians 3. Paul again says, but before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law 
being shut up to the, to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ that, our, <clears throat> that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have, been clo have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. And we might insert one word there, you're Abraham's spiritual offspring. That's what the important thing is. Because there, there are ethnic Jews and there are spiritual Jews that have been saved. There are ethnic Gentiles and there are spiritual Gentiles that have been saved. Now the blood of Christ allows all to come to him. Hebrews 8.13 says this, a new covenant he made the first obsolete, but whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear, and it did in 70 AD. The temple was destroyed. The temple has never been rebuilt. The practices have never come again. The new covenant has replaced it, and it's everlasting and eternal. Those words are used describing the new covenant of Jesus Christ. We will never go back to the old. It will always go forward. It will always be through eternity. We will be under the new covenant with Jesus Christ. It's an amazing, amazing truth in the word of God. Let's read on. Let's look back here and continue reading. We were in verse 16, 15. Now let's read on with 16. So he's torn down the dividing wall, which is the law. He's replaced that. And he says that he might reconcile them both in one body. He's removed that barrier to God through the cross by having put to death the enmity. He's reconciling Jew and Gentile. He's removed the barrier. And then he quotes from Isaiah, and he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. Man, that's an amazing truth. Gentiles now that were totally separated before the coming of Christ have been brought in and made equal partners and fellow citizens with saved Jews. I want you to see one other passage with me as we, as we talk about this. Turn over to Romans, excuse me, Acts, not Romans, Acts chapter 15. There's, there's a big meeting going on because some of the Jews are saying, you know these saved Gentiles, they need to be circumcised and they need to come under the Mosaic law. They need to come under the Mosaic law. Well, let's begin reading at verse 4. And when they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But certain ones of the sect of the Pharisees 
who had believed stood up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. And the apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, brethren, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God who knows the heart bore witness to them, giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did also to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now after, now therefore, why do you put God to the test? By placing upon them, upon the neck of the disciples, a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. But we believe that we are saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in the same way as they also are. And the multitude kept silent. What were they saying? No, don't put them under that law. None of us could keep that. That was to point to, it was a tutor to point us to what we really needed. A savior, a messiah that would die and pay the price for our sins. And these Gentiles have received that and they've been born again and they're new, just like you. Don't put them back under the law. They're under Christ's law. They're under the new covenant. They've been saved by grace. Let's look at those last verses and just sum up the third point now. So they've gone from being separated, absent from salvation. They weren't unified. Now, collectively, Gentiles have been brought in. They can be saved by the blood of Christ and are, and they become his family. Listen to how he concludes. Several things he says that are so meaningful here, and he's using figures. He uses the figure of the kingdom, of a household, of a building, and then eventually says that building is the temple of the living God. Look at, look at verses 19 to 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, you Gentiles. You're not. You're not outside the camp. You're not alienated from God, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. So the first thing he says is, the kingdom that Jesus Christ came and pronounced, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, he preached it to the Jews. And then he said, preach it to the Gentiles. Take it to the ends of the earth. Preach them, make disciples, teach them. They are now part of that kingdom. Gentiles are fellow citizens. They have all the rights and privileges of every child of God. You and I who were, we were lost. We were collectively removed because of that first Christmas and the first coming now have been made fellow citizens. Let's read on. They're of the household of God. Think again of the prodigal and his father running out to him. We've been made part of the father's family, his household. 
we are his children. We have the right of sons and daughters of the living God. So we're fellow citizens with all of the same rights. We're part of his household. We're his children. We've been adopted and brought in. And there's no difference between us and a believing Jew and a believing Gentile. We're together. We're one. Then he goes on after the household to say, say a little bit about the, this building that the Lord is making, having been, verse 20, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And I believe from what we see in the next chapter, these are New Testament prophets, because he mentions them again in chapter 3, we're going to see. The apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, which is the main stone in the building of those days. The main stone in the foundation. The apostle and prophets are the foundation. Christ is the cornerstone. We're part of this building. Having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In whom, Christ, the whole building being filled together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. This building, Christ is building. It's in him. It's made up of us, Jews and Gentiles, who have come to him by faith and are in him. He's building this building. It's the church. It's the church. He is the cornerstone. The apostles and prophets are the foundation. We are the building stones together, being built up together, growing into a holy temple in the Lord. There's not going to be any more temple, folks. If there is a thousand-year kingdom, which I don't know for sure, I'm not sure that's the way that should be translated, looked at, interpreted, there's not going to be a temple. We're not going back to the sacrifices. We are not going back to the old covenant. It is obsolete. It is done away with. We're under the new. Jew and Gentile are together. I'll say one thing. If there's a thousand years, it's for the church. It's not going backwards and picking up the old covenant again. It's Jew and Gentile together, if there is such a thing. And all I can say is, I doubt it. I doubt it. We are together, and, and we're a, a holy temple. Now we, individually, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, you've been bought with a price. You are not your own. You are to glorify God with your body because it's his temple. He lives in you. He doesn't live in stone temples anymore, concrete temples. He lives in believers, his children. And now he says here, we are collectively the church, his holy temple, individually and collectively. Does that say anything about how we ought to treat one another who are part of his holy temple? He lives in us, every true believer. We're part of him, and we're, being, we're growing together in Christ. Look at verse 22. In whom also you being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. By the way, when I look at Revelation 21, and I see the new Jerusalem coming down, and the temple coming down, 
later in those verses, he says, this is the bride of Christ. I don't think he's talking about a literal temple coming down to the new heavens and new earth. I don't think he's talking about a literal city, Jerusalem. He's talking about us, the bride, the temple of the living God. We're coming down with him to the new heavens and new earth. Take a look at those early verses in, the, in that chapter 21 of Revelation. It's not a building. I, I talked to people, they're going, hey, did you see how high that building is and how wide it is? And, and, and I'm trying to figure it out. I said, look, it's the church. It's us. We're the building that's being built. And when that happens, when he comes back again the second time to the new heavens and new earth with his bride, it will be finished. There won't be any more growth. There won't be any more maturing because we will have new bodies and we will be complete and we will be with him in the new heavens and the new earth for all eternity. All eternity. Let me just summarize by saying this. The Gentiles who were formerly aliens had no right of citizenship, were not part of Abraham's seed because of the coming of Christ have been made an integral part of his body. The new man, the new body that has been made by Christ. We are now an integral part, not just merely annexed, but fellow citizens with Jewish brothers and sisters. We're one. And we're not going back. There's no more separation. We are one from now, from the time that Christ came, on through the end of this age and on into eternity. If you've ever heard the word New Covenant theology, this is it. The New Covenant is the everlasting covenant. The New Covenant is the eternal covenant. Listen to Isaiah 55.3. I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercy shown to David. Jeremiah 32.40. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do them good. Ezekiel 37, 26. And I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant. And that everlasting covenant is mentioned in Hebrews in chapter 13. Listen to 13, 20. Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus Christ, our Lord. We are part of that new covenant, that everlasting covenant. There's no going back. Jew and Gentile are one body together in him. Every saved person since Adam until Jesus comes again, are going to be and are part of that body. Can you imagine again? Think, think about it. Before Christ, Gentiles were without hope and without God. But this Christmas, you and I can thank God 
and thank the Lord Jesus Christ that he came and included us. Do you realize that when you look at the church today and you compare how many Jews there are in Gentiles, where would the majority be? It's Gentiles by the grace of God. There are Jews there. And praise God, there are. Jews that know the Lord. But primarily, when A.D. began, and Christ came and he died, and he rose again, he opened the doors wide to all, to us. Would you have wanted to have lived in B.C. as a Gentile? Before Christ? I don't think so. You need to be most joyful this year at Christmas that Christ in his coming opened the doors wide to save everyone that will come. Everyone that he has chosen, everyone that Christ died for will be in it. And there are no, there's no barrier, there's no dividing wall. It's been removed. All are one in Christ. That is something to be joyful about. How long that will last, no one knows. How long before the Lord's return, we don't know. And the other thing I would say in conclusion is, we are being, again, reminding us we're being built up together. It talks about our interdependency and our love for one another. We're his holy temple. Individually and collectively. Do we, do we demonstrate that? Do we show that to a lost and dying world? I hope we do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this Christmas time to remember that we Gentiles were without hope, without God, not part of Israel, without the promises, but Christ came. The living Son of God came and became a man and lived under the law and died on the cross to pay for the sins of all, both Jew and Gentile, and to make one new man with one new covenant, all centered around Christ, who is the main figure of the entire Bible from Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation 22. We thank you for Jesus Christ today. Thank you for the hope that we have collectively while there's still time. Thank you for bringing us to yourself. If there's anyone here this morning without Jesus Christ, I pray that you would speak to their heart and draw them and bring them to him. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.